this theater. I'm pretty sure I'm being held hostage by two demons named Abe and Adam. An official intro? Or do you want to just... I don't know. Is this even an official movie? Mm. <laughs> like, I'm not even sure. You I know what I mean? Know. If it... I, I don't either. Yeah. Uh, I don't either. I don't know what an official intro for this show even means. Because we have the prognosticator at the front end who's constantly running bits. So, like, <laughs> this show could run any which way. And who would know the difference? I would not. We're wild cards, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like Ace Ventura. Oh, it's perfect. What uh, a segue. What no, a heroic segue. No, no, you, not, you hated it? I'm not buttoning that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know either. I mean, most of our intros are basically improv garbage, and then we like Frankenstein them together. We just kind of uh, chill out here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I just we I actually never... just put my hand uh, around my waist like I was going to like impress you with my nonchalance. <laughs> like hey, what's That would have impressed me. That would have impressed me. How many how many of these episodes have you recorded in a smoking jacket? Cuz if the answer is 0, you've been fucking up. No, I'm in my smoking jacket right now. What the fuck are you yes, talking exactly. about? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. This is the one show that I've ever done or listened to that makes me think maybe pipe smoking is a way I could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe go with a pipe is a guy I could be. Yeah. I don't know. Dude, when you got into film school, did you think you were like a big fucking deal? (laughs) Remember all the hats I used to wear? Of course I did. Oh my god, you were the hat guy. Of course. The hat king. Adam Ganser. I was the king of hats. As we all knew. I was the king of them. Yeah. (laughs) King of hats. I also had the black rim glasses. I remember I had such a fucking chip on my shoulder. Like I was king shit. I was like, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you having like. I remember you having like patterned shirts and stuff in film I school. I still have patterned shirts. I don't think my wardrobe has changed since I went to film school. Think about you it. Wear, you wear a lot of uh, polo shirts unbuttoned with like an undershirt. That's, That's true. That's like your vibe. That's your vibe. That's my vibe. Which I, like. I uh, yeah. I'm, I'm like milk toast white guy vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I see, but like. It's funny because like the classic version of that actually is Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. Ace Ventura is the classic like unbuttoned <laughs> shirt. But oh, you've yeah. never struck me as being like doing a thing with it. It's more just like this is casual. This yeah. is casy. <clears throat> See, my my thought is that if I'm unbecoming, you know, and I, so I don't seem like I'm up to any anything in particular, I just blend into the walls. You'll never know when I'll attack. Right, right, right. It's definitely you, you've always been trying to take the world by surprise. Yeah, which I respect. Yeah, just I like choke you out. Just as you we slowly go to the ground together. Yeah, I'm a fucking maniac, man. I'm a maniac in my polo shirts. Half vampire. Yeah, like most of your attacks have been half vampire. And I feast. Yes. Yeah, I was. I definitely had a thing, but to be fair, I didn't create the thing for film school like I, I i created it for a whole different reason mm-hmm. several years before and then it just happened to translate perfectly to do oh yeah yeah you were vi- i could tell that that was like a well-worn and you know trodden like vibe you had you know for I was sure like, you were pulling it off because you had the confidence of it you know <laughs> someone who like arrives arrives in like a suit and they haven't worn a suit like forever you can tell you right. can tell. It's like, it's like I don't know. Use if I'm an a iron, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Use an iron. You and know, then you start uh, second get... guessing all your questions. Like, are my teeth too big? Are my teeth too big? <laughs> do my 
Do my eyes, are my eyes coming out of my skull? Yeah, if those... somebody was able to run a sound cable from the minds of film students, mm-hmm. it would be a cacophony of anxiety. Oh, it's just... Just, uh, it's... just a, a, a one long, continuous <sighs> all the you know? All the egos alone is one yes. thing, but it's... It, it's more it's deeper than that i think it's deeper than ego ego meaning specifically that part in all of ourselves that says like uh yeah all these people but i'm the real but me, director though. but me though yeah but yeah, yeah. me though it's, it's just a bunch but, of people doing that that's all well film school uh, as really we've is. as we've said a bunch of times or maybe we maybe we haven't said it on the podcast but it's like a it's like a beautiful anecdote the first day of film school they mm. get you in this room and they're like first of all they say congratulations the hard part's over which is a obnoxious right and then the second thing they do is like now how many of you are the youngest child in your family mm-hmm. and it's like everybody's hands go up and you're like oh and they're like yeah right. it's a little t- I- i've had that trick done to me more than one time right in my right, like, right, classes right. and it's like i remember hearing that and going like yeah 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 old hat it's why are you doing this man do you think you're do you think you're doing a magic show <laughs> like, right. what, what, what do you think you're doing with your film school here like you reject the learning we all raise our hands learning. and go oh there's some psychologically about being a like a baby or something like that and then you go yeah of course that makes a lot of sense the that younger child wants attention and they usually become creative or become funny yeah it's it's well it's well known it's it is well known and yet for me a person who never even considered that walking into film school as an eldest child uh that was like oh yeah mm-hmm. oh i see now what happened yeah, uh, uh, it, like, I, I'm a weird. I am weird here. Like I am a weird guy here, uh, and that has remained true to this you know very my, day. <laughs> you know what my favorite? Uh, you know what my favorite part of film school was in I'm that ready. meeting. It was uh, when they said, "Look to your left. Look to your right." Half of you, are, half of you are going to work on the web. The other half won't have a job. And then there's also Ryan Coogler. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that part of film? Oh my god! Throwing him right under the bus. Wow, that's a lot of darkness. Uh, That's a lot of darkness, my man. (laughs) It it really is. I will say, uh, I enjoy reminiscing about this because then it makes you think. Oh yeah, we're gonna cover Ace Ventura as a legitimate movie today, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Ace Ventura is a movie in 2008 when I went to film school that I've been like, oh, what a garbage heap of garbage! What a yeah. garbage made of garbage film it is. Like, mm, uh, yeah, I can't even. I, let me let me spit for a while just to yeah. get the taste out right. And now, as an older man, having worked uh, some as a director and uh, looking forward to returning to that chair, I kind of have some respect for this. Yeah, man. Did you feel the same way when you watched it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that has happened to me over numerous films, in numerous decades. I've even gotten like I've even gotten old enough, I guess, as you know, to keep your, you know, what you're saying, true, yeah. which I believe in. Uh, that is like it is sense dispelled. There's just different movies. There's no good right. movies. There's right. movies that work on you and movies that are well thought out. And have really impassioned thinking behind them, uh, and there's movies that have, and it's a sliding scale. There's not, it's not even a binary system. So, whatever, man. <laughs> it's, it yeah. doesn't. Don't if everyone if you like, 
if let's say you're in film school and you say, right. uh, oh yeah, Braveheart, that was, uh, you know, that has some merit, <laughs> you know, that's going good. Oh, you like Braveheart? Nah, yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> you know, it was instrumental in 1994 and I was like nine <laughs> and he's like, yeah, last time I liked Braveheart, I was nine. <laughs> it's just like, okay, right, right, right. Right, okay, right, 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 well right. you can fuck right off then. You know, it's like, there's going to be a lot of people who throughout your life saying that your tastes are in fact bullshit tastes and to those people i say go fuck yourself (laughs) i mean that's that's definitely one of the impetuses of this podcast is the idea that i I think when you're in your early 20s like you spend a lot of you're trying to like collect an identity a little bit out of pop culture absolutely right like it's like oh i know all the good like i know every tom Waits song Mm -hmm. what are you listening to britney spears (laughs) fuck you yeah right but like then you get a little older and you have you've had enough dumb chats about this with your friends who are also pretentious and you're like oh this isn't this has not in any way really shaped who i am like really i've been shaped by a much different factors many of which were out of my control Mm -hmm. and this is just a way i passed the time and chose to like i I made a club out of this and that club is dumb if not everybody can join in yeah Um, fandom and the reverse of fandom which i guess is hate them you know like yeah hate them yeah our gatekeepers in general you know like sometimes they have legitimate points like this film is problematic or something like that and that is valid that's 100 percent yeah. Yes. And that's all things. Multiple things can be true. Yes, that's right. Multiple things can be true. Also, like, I think it's a, important to look back on things that you liked, but then later on judged and ask mm-hmm. yourself, which you was the right you? Could they both be you? Uh, or like, <clears throat> is there some third compromise between the two? Because that's where I am with Ace Ventura. Like, yeah, it, it, in a way, Ace Ventura is a man. But he's also a pet detective. <laughs> what an apt metaphor. Thank you, Abe. You Thank poet. you. Uh, no, so, okay, but you can admit that at some point in the mid-2000s, this movie was like uh, an untouchable, right? Like, it was like one of the worst movies, according to people who had a taste, right? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, That's how people this, felt. And to this day, there's some people who are anti-Ace Ventura uh, and... That's fine, <laughs> you know. Well, see, like, sure, and and I'm not here to argue that it's uh that it's cinema. You know what I mean? Like in the highest, it's it's not high art. Mm. But I will say, I stumbled across it on Netflix, like I don't know, three months ago. And hey, man, we're all in a cage, so like I'm watching things on Netflix I wouldn't mm-hmm. normally watch. And uh, I was surprised to find that I was able to enjoy it again. The, fact, there's in, yeah stuff in, you could pull from it yeah. i love that that's my favorite one of my favorite interactions with films kind of the second viewing not that i learn more but that i like appreciate some aspects of it that i didn't because i was like looking at this one thing yeah it's it's think, kind of a fun experiment there's that and also there's like sometimes you've spent enough time away that you can laugh at it again sure. like yeah. like in ace ventura's case it, it had been so long like probably 20 years since I'd watched it. God, uh, yeah. Maybe more. You know, like, I might not have watched it in this millennium. It's totally possible I haven't watched it since the 90s. That, like, I was able to, like, laugh at it again in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is fun, too. But now, as a filmmaker, one thing really popped out to me about this film. And that is that this is not an easy movie to direct. 
This is a hard movie to direct because uh, Ace Ventura is a completely impossible character, like completely impossible and uniquely impossible, right? Like we haven't seen a lot of characters in cinema doing what he's doing. And so the director's task is to make that feel like it still works in a movie. And that's not that simple. Um, right. So as I as I mentioned to you, and I know you've seen this pitch, but the audience has not. One of the things that really stood out to me and I thought was a cool topic to discuss is the fact that Ace Ventura is a success as a film because of some very smart and careful casting by the director so that it was able to counterbalance the performance of Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura. And so in a way, the director's casting saved the movie from Ace Ventura. In some ways, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, it's, yeah, uh, it's a challenge, and like, it's a huge and they challenge. had to they had to adjust what a movie ma- like how how you cast it. I, I see. I kind of think I see what you're saying. Yes, I'm gonna say it in in several different ways throughout this episode. Great. But like, if I but just the log line for everybody so that they know what they're in for. So this is an episode about how casting all the characters that surround Ace Ventura make us able to accept Ace Ventura as a character and therefore make the movie work. That's the idea. Right. Um, So let's talk a little, yeah, cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, casting, just sort of what it is and what people think it is. Um, Often when I do one of these episodes, I think like, well, what do people who don't make movies think casting is or think lenses are or whatever right and i kind of i kind of came to what i i think people's impressions of casting are mostly based on two situations the first is the idea of attaching somebody to a project you know like the deadline reports or the hollywood reporter reports and that's when an actor usually a big name agrees to be in a movie for a big sum of money and that helps the movie to get made so that right. might happen in the early stages before the movie's been greenlit, or it might be a project that's been greenlit and they're waiting till they get everything together. And then finally, oh, Brad Pitt's going to play, you know, insert famous Marvel character. Now we're really doing something and the movie goes into production. Yeah, it's kind of one or the other. It's, you know, a vehicle or right. a, you know, like, oh, we got him. We got right. we, Yes. We got her. You know, she's going right. to make the movie even better now. And now we get more money because of that. Yeah. It's sort of, it's almost like, uh, there's almost kind of a role-playing game or like a card game to it where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, now I got Chris Evans. Now I have a good hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, and that's the idea of casting for yeah. like big stars. And so that's, that's one way attaching happens. But there's a second way that I think also people are aware of. And that is occasionally a movie that's like an indie movie will get a hold of a big star. Right. And get them attached, and then the movie will be able to get money. So, like, a good example of that is Whiplash. So, the movie Whiplash was made based on the strength of a short film. And the short film was, like, some kid sent a script to J.K. Simmons, who played Fletcher, and then later won an Academy Award for the part. And J.K. Simmons, a known actor, was like, I like this. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to invest the time and energy for Mm -hmm. little or no money. And because of that, the movie got elevated to a place where it came into being. Um, so that's another kind of attaching that we would mm-hmm. think of for scripting, for casting, right? And you would, I think most people know that, don't you? I'd say, yeah. I'd say people are usually be able to decipher, especially after the fact, how that all three mechanizations work. Yeah. So the second way that casting 
tends to work, I think that people are aware of, is auditioning, right? They think of a process of like a cattle call full of people who can mm-hmm. go into a room and they've read some piece of the script and uh, they have to show up, do the script in a way that impresses the filmmakers, right? This is the room where right. the magic happens. And I mean, you and I have done plenty of casting many, many times. Mm-hmm. And that isn't inaccurate, right? Like that is what happens. Yeah. You know, they show up, they memorize a part, they they give their best shot at it. We like it or don't. And then we give them an adjustment and then they show us that they can be flexible. Yeah. And then or we sometimes decide. you need to be flexible as their you know, director. Yes. Yes, that's correct. I can think of some parts for crack that we did that actually, where it was like that person came in with something so cool that mm-hmm. the part had to change. Yeah. Um, sometimes auditioning will be like on bigger movies, it will include things like screen tests, right? Where so like the most famous example of this is Al Pacino had to do like, I don't know how many screen tests because the parent for the Godfather, because the parent company didn't believe in him. He was an unknown actor at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these screen tests of like very famous actors like Martin Sheen and Christopher Walken, I think. Uh, maybe not him. Maybe that's a parody. But a bunch of very famous actors trying out for the part of Michael Corleone uh, because it's basically like a high level audition. That's what screen mm-hmm. tests are, right? Auditioned for suits. Like that's the whole idea. <laughs> and I think people yeah. are generally aware of that, right? Right. Uh, so... That's what most people think casting is. And you'll notice that both of those types of casting are essentially star-centric, right? They, they, they focus on what does it take to become a lead in Hollywood? What's it take to be a star? You know, um, they follow the narrative of either a star that's born or a star that already exists, right? And so they don't in any way really capture what casting is for bit parts or for mm-hmm. supporting parts. And because of that, I think that we don't have a broad sense of what casting actually is for, right? Like obviously, it's like, well, you got to get the people to say the lines of the movie. Yes, but what else is casting for? And the theory that I'm going to sort of explain to all of you is casting is not just about selling movie tickets, although that's what lead actors are for, and not just about excellent performances, although it is for that. It's also to create a premise or hook of the movie. It's to sell that premise or hook of the movie and to create a consistent movie universe. The people that you populate all these small roles with actually will give you a sense of how the world in this movie works more than the lead will. And so I think that's more visible in comedy specifically. Yes. Because comedy is where, you know, premise, you know, really sinks its teeth into the reason for why this scene is happening or why this bit is happening. Uh, and also the consistent movie universe, which I think is very valid, uh, and important, uh, especially in a movie like this where it's like wacky, you know, it's like, how do you dial in the wackiness? Right. Yes. Right. And that's fundamentally what we're going to be talking about today is sort of like, how do you get Ace Ventura to work? Uh, and the answer to that is casting carefully all the supporting characters. So we're going to talk mm. about how each of the supporting characters... <clears throat> and not Jim Carrey, who's... Not, no, no, not Jim Carrey. And I, I'm going to say a few things about you, Jim Carrey. But yeah. You're going to cr- paint us a Jim Carrey-shaped hole, is what you're yes, going to do. That's exactly <laughs> okay. what I'm... Yes. No, you're right. Yeah, that's a no, perfect metaphor. It. That's exactly what it is. Love it. Okay. So... Um, 
Now look, Ace Ventura was not always a Jim Carrey vehicle. That was the mm. first and most stunning thing that, that I've read you, on the internet. When you researched that, that, he wasn't like, we gotta get the Carrey, baby. No, <laughs> no, I, I could not believe it because it's such a... It was his first thing. It was his breakout it was, thing. It was his huge... Right. He was kind of known because of uh, Mad TV, but yeah. like it was his... It launched or him not into... Mad TV, Living Color. Excuse me, in Living Color. That's correct. In Living Color. He... He was launched into the stratosphere. Oh my god! Yeah, like instant star in a year, right? It's instantly, and like within three years, he'd made like five huge movies. Like he'd made so many. So what you have to like, what people need to remember is, once upon a time, there was a script called Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and Jim Carrey was not attached to it. Here are some people who were considered before Jim Carrey for this oh, movie. Oh, lay it on me, baby. Yeah, yeah, here we go, baby. Here we go. The role was offered to Rick Moranis, who turned it down. Rick uh, Moranis. What? Rick Moranis, pet detective. He would have uh, been a completely different... Oh, my God. Yeah, totally different vibe, right? Like, that would have been like sad a sack. clean slate. Like, uh, You ever see clean slate? I haven't. No, no, but I, but I get the That's vibe Dana already. Carvey. Yeah, it's, yes. it would have to be more internal and like, I don't know. If you've seen Strange Brew, they're all like game based instead of this, which is like so. I guess one thing I wanted to bring to the table at this point, sure. it was sure, the sure. Uh, like the stylings of like yes. what Jim Carrey could be because before we start talking about everyone else, uh, he's so big and loud yeah. and like he's Robin Williams esque, right? Uh, he's yeah i guess if you're gonna put him as a type robin williams is the best yeah type which is like it's right. the it's the idea of like the self-completing bit he's the whole package he's gonna run and do his own thing Correct. and when it's done you'll know there's nothing to be added to in Correct. a lot of ways it's like he's a one-man improv show yes and he's usually character and like bit based which is like a very groundlings improv style it's yep. where it's character based is like very groundlings a lot of people know this like but this is kind of inside baseball just the idea of like those schools like groundlings versus like ucb or ios or you know something else uh second city like they the very concept is like okay it's all about you and what like performances what impressions you can do etc etc versus what's the game you know which is very much second city which is very much you know a lot of uh canadian comedians during uh you know the 80s and 90s where it's like well what's the funny what's funny well it's the conceit the thought that this is reality you know um and then us bouncing back and forth about that reality and it's just very interesting how they could have gone rick moranis is not someone who you get when you're like let's do like just a wall-to-wall just like let's just watch him you know like but it changes the movie entirely it also would have been a much safer choice because he had a box office given he was a given for the box like everybody knew who he was and he was already the star of some things you could see it i just want to say on this on the subject of different comedy improv Stylings. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're another way for people who have no idea what we're talking about to think of this is they're almost like schools from Hogwarts, right? Like they're sure, almost like yeah, Slytherin, yeah. and they're like Slytherin, and they're like uh, you know Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. They all have certain emphases mm-hmm. uh, about what what makes a potent comedian. You know what what cocktail of personality mm-hmm. traits and beliefs make an interesting comedian. And Jim Carrey comes out of the tradition that's very character based and. Uh, 
that enjoys sort of very big theatrical trappings. Slytherin. <laughs> well, Slytherin, believe it or not, is one of the other people that this part was at was offered to, and that is Alan what? Rickman. No. Alan Rickman. Yep. No. No. Yep. No, hold yep. on. I'm sitting down and I need to sit down. Holy fuck, did you just throw Alan, Alan Rickman? Rickman. No. Alan Rickman. No. Yep. I was so no. thrilled. I was so thrilled to read it, Abe. I couldn't believe it. It just tickled my heart. Okay. All uh, righty then, spend Potter. All- <laughs> Jesus. Lou Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that madness. Oh my God. What would he do? Like what? How? How? What is that all script? Righty then. Oh, like a glove. <laughs> What? Oh, shit. Lewis Einhorn is a man. <laughs> There's, I don't believe this is reality. I'm still sleeping. Yeah. That is yeah. insane. Unbelievable. That I know. Is insane. So, so there's that. Here's some other people. You're not going to believe them either. Judd Nelson. <laughs> that's like, what, what? what kind of angst-ridden pet detective is this? Judd Nelson. And then Whoopi, Gold, Whoopi Goldberg was considered for this part. See, that I'd watch. Oh, yeah. Whoopi. Oh, yeah, that sounds dude. Amazing. Hot sounds amazing. Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> She's never... You saw oh, her as shit. a medium for ghosts. Now a medium for animals. <laughs> Whoopi pet. You saw her as Sister Act. Now imagine her. A Wasn't Miami she in based... the uh, T Rex film? After that. After that. But after yes. that. So that's when she was like, "Should have done it. Should have done it." <laughs> I don't think Whoopi has a lot of regrets. Like, I don't think she has a lot of regrets. Yeah, so I, look, I think she's fine. So all this happened before Jim Carrey's on board. Okay, so. Understand? What the fuck? How did they <laughs> make movies? <laughs> I don't, dude. Every time you read these stories, you're like, "What? Like, what the fuck? How do they it's do got this? A, it's just got. Oh man. Yeah, I can't believe it. I don't I know. even it, fucking it's totally know. Unbelievable. So look, once they settled on Jim Carrey, of course, the script had to be pretty dramatically rewritten, and specifically, what they decided is that he is going to do a lot of the rewrites and. He's going to basically improv jokes throughout. And you can feel that, right? Like, it's that a makes very a lot improv- of sense. Yeah. yeah. They're like, all right, well, our faith is in you. We're casting you. We love what you're bringing to the table. Right. Put it in there. Well, And you can imagine how if he showed up with anything like the character that is exists in Ace Ventura, mm-hmm. like how unbelievable that would have been to see in an audition room or on tape mm-hmm. or something. Can you even imagine? It's like, whoa. It's like just wall to wall with that guy. Yeah, I mean, that, and that would have been like watching something on fire. It's like un, unreal. Um, yeah. But it's a huge decision. Huge. Because A, he's not a known actor, and B, he's a tour de force, just like Robin Williams. So, like, he's going to do what he's going to do. You can't totally control him. And the character is really wacky. Like, really mm-hmm. wacky. So, here's what I mean. <clears throat> Ace Ventura doesn't live in a real world. He lives in a magical no. world where <laughs> where like being a complete jackass is not a thing anybody gets offended by. That's the first yeah, thing. That's, right? Yeah, that's true. Like he's he's a legit jackass uh from minute 1 to minute end. Um he has he he described himself as trying to be the James Bond of pet detectives and I think that's not wrong. 
That's he not is a, like what, that. That's what they were going for. He, and I think he does a comedy James Bond weird like hybrid. Like I think there is some James Bond in I mean, this he performance. Straight up does a Sean Connery impression. Right. And, but time. also and there's that's music out of control. Like what he's doing with his mouth at the end <laughs> <Yeah>. of that. Lovely party. It's like what? What 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 is that an element of? How is that an impression? But you go on. <laughs> yeah, it's un- it's unbelievable. I, it, you're right. It's like his mouth is a radio wave or something. Yeah. So like he uh, he also okay. So like James Bond, he has kind of a like a mysterious sex appeal that in this movie is like completely baffling. Like just how would it ever be? But it <laughs> is right. okay. It's Fair really enough. stupid. It's real it just, dumb. It's so, so dumb. He he can literally control or speak to animals. Like Dude, they abandon reality many times with that particular the, thing. The all right. So watching it for this time, that's the funniest. That was the bit that I laughed at the most. Is the when talking he to animals finally gets into his apartment after they all all his animals hid right from the um mm-hmm. <clears throat> from the landlord and then he just whistles and then they all come out and it's like that yeah, safari good. music yes but yes. then all he does is he gets down on his knees and just and like sings. screams to the heaven <laughs> oh! and it's just like i don't know why it was just like that's when you knew what movie you were in yes, it was like I a agree. perfect send-off to like all right what's this this guy's an asshole nothing makes sense the first 10 minutes have been like funny but rocky I'm not sure where this is going and then I was like you know what I'm on board this fucking movie what what the hell is going on right the first sequence is is very misleading in some ways because yeah. it's a little sleazier than the rest of the movie is yeah it is uh, a little a little sleaze not a lot but a little it's sleazier it's doing most of the legwork for beats that are like he's He's actually like, even though he's going to act like he is a professional, he's actually like kind of just an average Joe piece of shit. Right. You know, it's, he has it's to actually, hide from his landlord, stuff yes, like that. It's actually the closest we come to the Raymond Chandler beats that like right. undergird this story as as actually kind of a noir tale. Like that's what it is. Yeah, I like that. But <laughs> uh, pointing that out, it's a noir. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, you know, it's, it's one a of many. Film, yeah. yeah, one of many. It's funny not that far. It's films. just you forget because it couldn't look closer to an or well, <laughs> or could look more far away. Yeah, but that does tell you why they have I mean the first sequence in particular with the the guy that he gets the the shih tzu from and then the woman he delivers it to both of them are incredible. I'm going to say more <laughs> about them later, but okay. they don't they they set a tone for a kind of grimier movie than this is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh for a lot of reasons. So anyway, we'll go back to that. So Yeah. Uh I think probably the most important thing, and the reason we all like Ace Ventura, but we have to remember what it means for a movie, is Ace Ventura rejects social reality. Like, he d- he refuses to respect the rules of reality. And right. all comedians do that to some degree. But Ace Ventura literally doesn't respond to people as though they're human beings. He responds with bits. Mm-hmm. Like, he does bits. And, like... What makes it okay for us as an audience is that we're watching him and not interacting with him. Like this this movie, we sort of observe the character more than we connect to the character. And that makes it funny. If this guy was your friend, you would fucking hate this guy. Oh, you yeah. would hate him. <clears throat> and he wouldn't, ex- he couldn't exist. Um, no. Like you're saying, uh, like he, there's no way in which he interacts with any, like any, any authority figure whatsoever. He just kind of 
steamrolls them. You right. know, he and literally all... runs over cops. You know? Yes, and that's a, that's a thing we're going to talk about. It's great. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah we're going to definitely talk about that. That's and a... he also catches uh, bullets with his teeth, so everything, right. that whole right. sequence, everything is magic. It's all fair game. Right. Uh, I'll, his, his relationship with Dan Marino, by the way, which I'm not going to go into much detail about, amazing. Like, it's just very funny. Okay, so because of the way Ace Ventura is, I mean, he's a black hole of, like... Uh, re- like he's a reality black hole. It's a very difficult <laughs> character to make a world right. that would sustain him. And because of that, we have to do a lot of very careful supporting work to actually make the reality that he lives in seem like a place where he could be. Um, so to give you kind of an illustration of how other filmmakers handle this, imagine something like Grand Budapest Hotel. In Grand, Bud- <laughs> in Grand Budapest Hotel... We have, uh, you know, Ray Fiennes, right? Ray Fiennes, excuse me, Ray Fiennes, playing <laughs> that hotelier, right? And yeah. uh, he's kind of a, he, he's sort of a mix of a slightly ruthless, slightly compassionate, but very like rule bound in a funny way. Mm-hmm. And, and it fits a hotel, but also the way it's done, the way he is, is so ruthless that you can't make that movie work if everyone else in it is not a cartoon character. Right. Like it's right. it's really the only way any of Wes Anderson's movies work is number one costumes and production design, right? Those are big parts of it. But mm-hmm. then you have to get characters who themselves are sort of a kind of unreal. There's an unreality to them, and they all have to have the same deadpan feeling yeah, to cartoons. make the jokes work. Yes. So and it's in in that case, like the way that Wes Anderson's made it work is he gets big time stars and then dresses them with like eye patches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we accept the sort of tweeness of the world, right? Like perfect analysis that. of Wes Anderson, by the way. But, is, but doesn't he it. do that? Am I wrong? That's what no, he does. Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Put a hat on it. <laughs> Put a bird on it. Uh, <laughs> it's him, literally him weird, that twee yeah. world. Give yeah, him the Nietzsche just, stash. Right, exactly. Like he, he's very much like everybody in his movie could be a pirate captain. I just if they can't sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what Tommy Lee Jones said Great. to Jim Carrey. Yeah. Great. Uh, after that, what was that? Batman Forever? I don't know. <laughs> Does he say that? He doesn't he, say it in the, no. This is legitimately one actor to another. He says, "I cannot. Oh. I hate you. I really don't like you, and I cannot sanction your buffoonery." That's like he just oh hated Jim Carrey. There's I did that not beef. know that. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that makes my next point even better. Okay, so look, so uh, in the same way that Wes Anderson's movie doesn't work if he doesn't put Willem Dafoe in an eye patch and like have him do this deadpan thing. Or like have Adrian Brody be some weird evil guy with a goatee. Uh, Ace Ventura doesn't work unless you have people who support a sillier world than normal and do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to it. So like, I'm going to start this point with a thought experiment. And that is, imagine if you cast Gene Hackman or, and I wrote this down, you can testify, Tommy Lee Jones... Anywhere in this movie, I did. Anywhere in this movie, can you imagine either of them in this movie? Can you just repeat the question? (laughs) It's a thought experiment. Okay, now I'm not asking you to be creative here. I'm just asking you to evaluate based on the way actors are. Can you imagine Gene Hackman or Tommy Lee Jones anywhere in Ace Ventura? Like, can do they fit anywhere? Thank you, thank you for this. (laughs) 
And yes, <laughs> I, yes, right. I knew you were it will this. not be good, but absolutely yes, I sure. can imagine. It. I know you and have it's my the favorite thing. Everything else is. I I want to stop the episode and just do this now. <laughs> imagine Gene Hackman. Imagine Gene fucking Hackman. But you, but like you can admit that. Okay, because honestly, I want to move on here. So like, uh, okay. you can you can admit though that to make Gene Hackman or Tommy Lee Jones be an Ace Ventura. <laughs> you have to violate who they are. <laughs> you have to violate who they are yes. to make it work, right? Like they're not—they don't belong in this world. Can you ex- can you acknowledge that, or do we need to argue about it? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, more, more on that later. Yes, you're right. Okay, is, thank you. It is thank not you, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, okay. It's not yes. impossible. It's more that like. Aside no, from no, us it, being it, hilarious, yes, you guys, said it. Right, yes, they don't you said fit. It. They don't fit. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what this director did with casting to make Ace Ventura work. Okay, so I'm, I've basically divided everything into a few groups, like characters into groups that are all strategic groups. Okay, so the first one is <laughs> group Ooh. one I'm calling the equally absurd cartoon characters. Okay, so like these are people in the movie that are so wacky that they create the impression that Ace Ventura is not actually the only crazy person in this world. And they're also performed in an offbeat way to sell kind of a sense of like, oh, this is just a silly, like it it creates a sense of this world's full of kind of crazy, bizarre characters that don't totally add up. Uh, So that's the first group. Okay. So in that group is Ron Camp, the billionaire. Right, so he's <laughs> right. the guy who hosts that party, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. now they don't draw a lot of attention to him, but like, let's stop and consider what this man is, okay? First of all, <laughs> sure. he's French. Don't know why. Okay. He's humorless. Like, just doesn't understand jokes. Doesn't get them. Doesn't like them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Incredibly easily embarrassed. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, by the way, opposite of any billionaire. Billionaires are never embarrassed like this man is. He limps. We don't know why he limps, but he limps. That's true. Uh, he does and, limp. And he has a shark collection. <laughs> yeah, he's a Bond villain. That's right. the whole... Right, right, right. That's yes. what they're doing, right? Yes, yes, he's a Bond villain, but also, like, he's played in this way that's not... Like, he's not evil. He's just sort of awkward. <laughs> he's played in this very awkward way where, he, like, everything's like, oh, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, he doesn't know how to handle anything right. that Ace Ventura and I think does. That's because they wants to show that Ace Ventura as a character is a foil to literally everyone. There's no yes. member of high society or low society that is, you know, uh, that is free from <laughs> his, you know, volley of yeah. missiles that are just constantly <laughs> exploding from his core. That you know, immune to his poop jokes, which is like what a real Gene here. Hackman type. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, see, the, the difference between this character and Gene Hackman is, because he's so silly, it also sort of elevates the overall feeling of silliness in the movie, which lets us accept Ace Ventura as being like as not having a cognitive dissonance, right? Because that's the whole point. You got to create mm-hmm. a world where you accept Ace Ventura without being like, "This is dumb and stupid." Like, and to do that, you have to elevate the silliness of the world so that you don't ask that question as much. Okay, so that's the first example. Second example, and he's barely he's not memorable, but the character's name is Woodstock. Okay, he's played by Rainer Skeen, and he's like he's the, the hip- hacker, right? Yeah, he's a hippie hacker who lives under Cannibal Corpse. 
like that's mm-hmm. he just like lives under that band and uh <laughs> he all he's doing is like disrupting uh every act against animals from his like little demon nest down there yeah and what is his deal who is he why is he doing it i mean aside from morals right i get that but like why how does he make a living what is he doing uh, mm-hmm. All of that's crazy. Why does he have two glasses? He has two sets of glasses. These he, are good questions. He yeah. intentionally puts them back on to hack a computer. He like mm-hmm. takes them mm-hmm. off and then he puts them both back on <laughs> to hack the computer. And like, what? Why? You know? Are uh, you saying that it's necessary that like for Ace to have a friend? That means that person needs to be in, also inexplicable. Yes, that's a, okay. that's my point to basically both these guys. Yeah. They both have to be inexplicable, and because of that, again, elevates the idea that Ace is not alone. Right. right? Okay. Which gives credence to the idea that he can act like an asshole to anyone. And people will and accept you it. Don't, you can think about it, but you're not going to be like distracted by it when you're watching the movie. Correct. Now, second group is a group that I call actors who made huge choices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, this group, like I think the strategy here is that they all sort of create a pervasive sense of unreality, right? They're all mm-hmm. silly enough that, uh, again, it elevates the floor, right? So it's not mm-hmm. just that Ace is right. one of a kind. It also is like, and even normal people are very exaggerated in this world. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's some examples. My favorite, and the one you mentioned, is Mr. Shikadance, who is the landlord, and he's played by mm-hmm. Mark Margolis. And mm-hmm. he probably got cast just on saying the word Ventura, right? Like, they cast yeah. him immediately yeah. when he did yeah. that one. So, watch how he acts in that scene, okay? He's doing the biggest sniffs you've ever seen, and mm-hmm. he gets very, uh, he, he's very animated in a way that's like, what is this guy's deal? You know? Uh, he, and then contrast him with the part he played in Breaking Bad. Yeah, right? I was going to say, yeah. So, he played Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad. Now, Which he had to emote just using his face. <laughs> yes, know, like using his... Use words. Right. Yeah, he's, he's the guy who was bound to the wheelchair with the single bell. And yeah. it's played very subtly, often. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, that performance is just, in some ways, exactly the opposite of what he does here as Mr. Shikadance. So, you know the actor's making a decision to be this way. You know, that's important. Mm-hmm. So he decides to be Ventura, right? He decides to yeah, be yeah, that yeah. guy. They knew what movie they were in. Correct, yeah. correct. Okay, now now this is a part that I, I'd never thought anything about until I watched it this time. Roger Pedactor, okay? He's the guy who's like the part, Courtney Cox's partner who like works for the Dolphins, right? He's played by And he Troy. dies. Yes, in he the dies, movie. correct. Yeah. He, he gets thrown yeah. out of a window. But he's in like four scenes, like, like between mm-hmm. two and four scenes. Um, he's played by Troy Evans, a guy who's still working. He's in the show Bosch, and he love a Bosch man. Yeah, <laughs> Bosch for days, dude. Yeah, you're I'm a Bosch, a Bosch boy. head. You're a Bosch you, boy. You a Bosch yeah. head? Yeah. No, yeah. I've never seen Bosch, but I fuck know with of Bosch. it. <laughs> fuck, so fucking fuck with Bosch. All right, let's go. <laughs> I, I, dude, I love it. So, Pedactor <laughs> acts like the saddest whittle boy in the like the yeah. entire time of this movie. And he's it, like a little it, rascal. Yes. And it's like, it's a baffling performance. It's baffling because he doesn't exude any authority at all. He acts like just the middle-agedest, put-onest man in the world. Yeah. And he works down for the in Miami the Dolphins. 
You know what I mean? He's very successful. All right, so you're throwing shade on the franchise now? Is that what you're saying? Is no, this a no, football? No. Is this all an elaborate? There's the whole way, yeah, to, to talk about how the Dolphins suck. No, no. So look, he works at, he's like high up in a professional football organization. So like yeah. this man doesn't fit that culture. Like there's no way this man's in that in that world, right? <laughs> Fair. And he's also kind of doing like a Rodney Dangerfield thing. Like he's a little bit mm-hmm. like, oh, it shouldn't have been us. Oh, what are we gonna do about it? Like he's like that yeah, guy yeah. a little bit. Yeah, he does. Uh, just <laughs> so case in point, and I just want everyone to remember this because it's really fun to go back and watch the movie and notice this stuff. There's a single shot of him where he's covering up a rabbit's foot. <laughs> Where, What's like, the setup? This, so the scene oh, I is, remember. Yeah, yeah. This is they the scene talking where the, about the superstitious. Yes, yes, players. yes. Correct. Yeah. And like they just cut to him covering up his rabbit's foot on his keychain, and then tilt <clears throat> up to his face, and the face yeah. he's making is unbelievable. <laughs> like, yeah, you if you don't remember that that from the film, because that's a super uh, esoteric reference, but it is really good. It's right up top, and it shows us exactly everything you're saying. They're having a meeting talking about. Snowflake, the dolphin who has been Correct. stolen, who's been stolen, needs right. to essentially because the p- football players are notorious, are well known for being superstitious. They're not going to be able to play in the Super Bowl well when they know that their mascot's been stolen, and so the owner's throwing shade at the fact that like you guys are a bunch of like you know you superstitious of, yeah. income poops yeah yeah and he covers his rabbit's foot in that moment and right. it's like s- super like yes sir okay sir kind of moment it's, yeah. it's a dumb joke and he plays it as he again he just plays it like a bad widow boy like that's what he does yeah, and it's, it's really not dumb. a good joke but his no. delivery absolutely makes for it right and again that's yeah. not yeah that's not the only way roger <clears throat> pedactor could have been played he could have been no, played a hundred yeah. different ways uh, but he I wasn't. see kind of what you're saying because the actors who make the big choices, it's like sometimes the joke isn't there. And they he's have making to, one. Yes. They just have to like not mimic the energy, but mimic the like stakes and the emphasis of someone like Ace Ventura to make right. it more believable. Right. Um, so sometimes those jokes aren't even necessarily jokes. They're just there to kind of pepper the world with unreality as you said i yes. think i think if is that what you're saying yes and also, no no i think you're right and and all you, you've said it perfectly and also a little bit he also represents a little bit the silliness of authority which is a thing we're going to cover in a little bit uh later uh, but he he does yeah. erode the authority structures which are it, it that's a very important thing for ace ventura to work cuz if you don't have right. like inept authority figures ace ventura is completely impossible uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that's, he also does that job. Okay. So last person in group two of actors who make big choices is Mrs. Finkel. Okay. So this is, uh, the character is played by Alice Drummond and this is the scene where Ace Ventura like goes back and discovers Ray Finkel's parents, uh, to find mm-hmm. out whatever happened to him. And Ray Finkel, if you haven't watched Ace Ventura, Ray Finkel turns out to be, uh, a person who missed a Super Bowl kick for the Dolphins and then went crazy and then ends up kidnapping Dan Marino, but but Twist is also the police captain uh, who's played by Sean mm-hmm. Young. Okay, so Ace Ventura gets onto that story and goes and investigates Ray Finkel, and it turns out his parents are living in this like graffitied nightmare, uh, still waiting for him to come home because he went crazy. So, yeah, it's straight out of the movie Seven. Yes, very much. Yeah, it's and it's very yeah. it's very dumb. It's very silly and dumb. It's over the top. Yeah. So Mrs. Finkel, I think the thing to to acknowledge here is 
she's playing like Stepford wife times 10, right? She's playing like mindless, like, uh, like, be- like crazy loopy mom. Uh, but yeah. she's playing it. She's doing a huge version of it, and this is what I mean. She's she, also doting grandma. Yeah, yeah. She makes bit. cookies and stuff. Right, right. She's she's definitely infantilizing Ray and also his mm-hmm. his fans. And there's you know, and of course that's selling a type. But like the actor is doing is first of all she's not blinking. She she blinks mm-hmm. one time in the entire sequence. Like I counted because I was right. like I noticed it. She blinks yeah. once. And she's doing this thing with her mouth where she's got this like sort of frozen open mouth, like eager thing. Smile. Yeah. It's kind of a smile. It's also kind of a grimace and it's definitely off putting. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a decision and you know, it's a decision because there's a moment where they walk into Ray Finkel's room and you see the actress has plastered that on her face. And like, if you've worked with actors at all, you know, like they don't do that. Like that's not a thing a person does. No. Uh, so this is a choice this woman's making to create the Stepford wife sensation. And it's huge. It's a huge choice. Um, but you know, because the movie is so wacky, it sort of feels like it fits. Um, right. Yeah. Cool. Decision. It's, uh, it's very much so of the like type of care, like what you're designing here or t- talking about the internal design of this movie. Right. It reminds me a lot of like UHF and uh, wa- yes. uh, Weird Al movies. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because like she are- could be an alien and we'd be like, yeah, she's basically the same. like what, what she is is basically could be an alien. Right. If you ripped her head off and an alien's head popped out in a different story, it would be like, it'd be yeah, like sure. It would be like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Totally. She could have been in Men in Black, you know, like totally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's the second group. Group three is, I think you're going to love this, Abe. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Group three mm-hmm. I have titled Incredible Faces or Typecasting. My <laughs> <laughs> typecasting, yeah. Incredible Faces. Yeah, 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 there's faces. a lot of that. Yeah, there is. In this, So this group I would call, I would say this is a group that comes from the Tim Burton school of casting. And by mm. that I mean sometimes if you cast people with very strong facial or, or body uh, features... Uh-huh. You, the audience draws emotional content from them without them having to do anything. Okay, now the reason I say Tim Burton is an example of this is because like Tim Burton makes, in addition to his live action films, he makes animated films like Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas and others, right? So you watch those films, you're like, oh, that's kind of like the most Tim Burton. Like it's the, it's the most exaggerated. But then go watch something like Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow, he casts actors so that he has found this like weird alternate look that he captured in nightmare before Christmas. He did it through casting in sleepy hollow. It's unbelievable. Mm. You know, he gets these people with crazy facial features and then puts them in wigs and stuff. And it looks like a cartoon cabal of people. Um, and he's the best at that, but there's other people that do this as well. It's a very, uh, I think you might call it a low art trope because it sort of relies on our stereotypes of people. But mm-hmm. they exist, and they're real, and there's a reason why people are generally attractive in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, this is just mm-hmm. a, a thing about human nature. So, we're going to dive into it, uh, unless Abe has a comment here. This is a perfect Abe comment moment. <laughs> I, I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't have anything for you. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think you're on point here. Okay. Um, okay, so the first, and I think the most underrated of the incredible faces, is Mr. Finkel. So this is the mm. husband of Mrs. Finkel. Right. Uh, he's played by Bill Zucker. Just look at his face. <laughs> like he is the epitome of B 
beat down on the world, beat down by the world, grouchy old man. Like, he just looks like it. He could be the sweetest guy in the world, but my God, his face. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, so he he looks like a hermit. Like, he like if you had to say, what's a hermit look like? You'd draw this guy. That's what he looks like. He's he's definitely, like, the wrong kid died. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, he, for some reason, he feels like a farmer. I don't know why, but he does yeah, feel like no, a farmer. A, yeah, because he's, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, sun, you know, parched and... Yeah, yeah sunburned and like he feels like he's salt of the earth yeah Yeah, world beat down on him a little bit it's true yeah so the second one (laughs) this is gonna be this is one of my favorite characters uh is the guy from the beginning whose name is gruff man that's all that's Mm -hmm. what he's titled Mm -hmm. as he's the guy from the very opening of the movie uh he's played by randall tex cub like look at that guy's face like take a look at it Oh, I know Tex Cobb. Dude. Right. Okay. Great. Yeah, Tex- he's the biker of the apocalypse yes. in uh, Raising Arizona. Yes, he is. And he's- he sets rabbits on fire by driving near them. <laughs> right. This guy rules. He's regularly cast as like just overbearing, gruff asshole. Like, yeah. Like he- and once or twice as like a really sensitive like right. against type. F- right. Against type. Yeah. Right. But like he's a guy who has a face that has a whole story to it, and you don't have to do anything other than put him in an outfit, and you accept it. Right. So like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's again these are all stereotypes, but again you have to use stereotypes <clears throat> as a person who. Casts. This is pretty standard in comedy, though. Really I'd is. say yeah. the incredible faces. It's just like look at this. Look at this person. I mean, and that's, there's something about the, you know, uh, theater of, uh, I don't even know what, I'm sure that has a name, but it's not like freak show, but it kind of comes from that concept. You know what I mean? Totally. Where it's just like, let's get someone who's uniquely looking and let's all have a good time looking at that person is highly problematic and definitely something that comedies have done for since the beginning of comedies. Right. I mean, you know? and then there are people who have really leaned into it and done great things with our stereotype. Like, like Rachel Dratch is a person mm-hmm. who's really leaned into like her, mm-hmm. her face and her unusual facial features. She, and mm-hmm. she knows how to milk it for laughs. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a normal thing. I don't know that it's a good thing, but it's a normal thing. So it's typecasting. It's yeah, yeah. all the things that go along with that. So yeah. I do want to comment about this. I actually think this guy's performance is kind of incredible. It's uh, so short and sweet. It is, but he couldn't. That guy could have walked. You know this. If you and I had been auditioning him for Cracked, and he walked in the door and he gave the line, "I don't give a rat's ass," the way that he does it in this movie, mm-hmm. you would have yeah. cast him yeah. immediately. <laughs> it's so yeah. good. That one yeah. line. Amazing. It's all there. It's all there, baby. (laughs) Rarely does one line just really get me, but that one did. Hit the showers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so also in this group, Einhorn's goons. So there's like two guys (laughs) who are like holding. Yeah, yeah. There's two guys who are holding uh, Dan Marino hostage who are also ex-football players, I guess. And like they have lines, but they're definitely just they're definitely just cast because of how they look uh Mm -hmm. you know they look like like just sort of aging thugs right that's what they look Mm -hmm. like um so there's that now and the last one on this group that i wanted to talk about is the sexy woman that's the title of the part that's the name of the part (laughs) who's played by rebecca ferrari and like everything from her outfit to her behavior is to suggest playmate right like that's that's what she is supposed yeah. to suggest and also she was a playmate uh so that's not that far-fetched so sure. 
Yeah. She adds, I think, a kind of like, I think it's important because it's a quote unquote noir story. She adds an element of it not being wholesome because without her, the movie right. is a lot more wholesome. And I don't think the, the movie wanted to be edgy. And she is part of that decision, whether we like it <clears throat> or yeah, not. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, randomness of the world because he saves the dog from, and then instead of getting payment, which he asks for, he's like, right. can I get like my car well, got damaged? Cause, be good. <laughs> and then she gives him like what I imagine based off. Cause we only see, uh, cause she just ducks, but down below. So <clears throat> we only see like, you know, like waist up on, uh, on Ace Ventura. And it seems like she gives a blowjob like a, uh, it's a like a whirlwind. Yeah, it's a thunder <laughs> yeah, beach. It's, for sure. it's like a tornado because he's just like swinging around. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so this, nothing makes sense. No, no, this no. wouldn't happen. Totally stupid. None of this would right. happen. Yeah. But I, I will say, as a 13 year old, I laughed forever at that joke. Like, that was like a perfect, like, teen joke. Uh, right, which is yeah. which is ultimately what they're trying to do, right? Like edgy comedy yeah. is largely for younger audiences. Uh, well, the sleaze stuff is for teenagers, right. and it you worked. Know? Uh, you know, as a guy or adults who are teenagers, right? Exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. Look at this. Oh, sexy lady. Right. Mm. Okay. So <laughs> now I think is a, a, a group that Abe will have a lot to say about. I, uh, and that is sure. the uh, group four is the absurd authority figures. Okay. Hell yeah. 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 So. There's a lot of them, but I, I sort of narrowed it down to the three most important. The first is the Dolphins owner, who we only see in one scene, but he, he's played by Noble Wim, Wilmington, no, Willingham, Noble Willingham, Noble Willingham, yeah. and like he is just a Yosemite Sam parody. Right? He always has played just yeah. Yosemite Sam. He's always played it. He has a great monologue. It's very funny the things that he's saying, and he is definitely like. Just to st- like he also could have been the character from The Simpsons, who wears the ten gallon right. hat. Like he, same guy, you know. No, it's, yeah. So he's perfect. Yeah, but also because he's, no notes, <laughs> <laughs> because he's so silly, uh, he like in a way it sort of erodes the seriousness of the problem. You know what I mean? Like when you make an authority figure this silly, it's like now all of a sudden the stakes are lower. Which in Ace Ventura, that's helpful. The stakes need to be lower because that guy, yeah, yeah, that guy needs to be able to overpower the movie, not like by the skin of his teeth succeed. And we don't want any like lives or jobs to be on the line nah. in a way that are nah. like, uh, this is gonna get in the way of us laughing. So even though he is, he's from where all the power stems from. Right. Yeah, he's correct. Like, we can take, we can, you know, take some jabs at him. Now, I also, okay, so also on this list is Sergeant Aguado. Okay, now Aguado is also a stand in for the rest of the cops, really, but he's kind of the only one with real lines. Mm-hmm. And he's played by John Capodice. And if there was ever a flimsier bully in a movie, I'd love to see it. He, he's just, he, the guy looks like he's actually kind of a sweetheart. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he, yeah. I think he is a sweetheart. Uh, At one point, like Einhorn says to him, "Like get the fuck out. You see yourself the fuck out, or something like that." May probably not fuck because it's PG, but right. uh, you know. And he goes, 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> you know, the like, meekest little it's guy. It's a Simpsons joke. Yes. He's like a bully and uh, like a goon, but then at the same time, he's got like a heart of gold. Yeah, I mean, the movie never redeems him in any way, and that's fine. Right. But like, but he's like sensitive yeah. and like has, well, you don't need to say it yeah. like that, you, you know, which is like, well, you're a bully, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he doesn't really feel like he doesn't feel like a real bully. And I think that the director whether consciously or not, did himself a favor there because really all he is is just a, a hurdle for Ace to clear very easily. Yeah, uh, by the way, the first time they do that, it's so, there's, uh, I have to say for a movie that is in like, what was this, 94 yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, 93, right? I think. Uh, he's, he's, Ace Ventura pretty much undoes him in a very mm-hmm. like effective way. Like he's, So yeah, Aguado squashes a cockroach and he's like, he just makes fun of Homicide him because like, you like animals and stuff. Yeah. And Ace Ventura's response is... I can say that I can clearly see that the motive was that you were very scared of this cockroach's dick <laughs> because it was much bigger than yours, basically. And it's just such a burn that clearly, like, everyone goes like, ooh, and stuff. But Aguado is, like, undone. Yep, He's like, uh, that's it. Uh, get the fuck out of here. Also, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Also, it's Ace a good burn. kicks good his burn. ass immediately. Like, Ace, all, like it's, oh, yeah. it turns into a fight. Ace kicks his ass immediately. So, like... Again, this is the lead detective in this in this city. So, you know, not a very formidable police force. Uh, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Right. And he's we a, like to see it. We love to see yeah, it. Yeah, you love yeah. to see it. Exactly. Okay. Love so to see him getting taken down a peg. Last last character in this group merits some discussion. And that character is Lois Einhorn, played by Sean Young. Okay, so Lois Einhorn, mm-hmm. spoilers, is also Ray Finkel. Ray Finkel, mm-hmm. the male kicker for the Dolphins... Uh, apparently turned decided to dress as a woman and pass as a police detective and then is going on this whole sort of murder binge to get justice on Dan Marino, who he blames for setting him up to fail as a kicker. Straight up transitioning, though. Yes. We don't know if it's because that's how Ray Finkel think. Like, that movie, which, you know, we can talk... I, th- I think I can uh, see why it begs some suggestion. The movie does not give us answers to what's going on with Ray Finkel. Instead, in fact, we kind of make that character synonymous with uh, mentally ill. So that's like yes. a big problem well, right they, there. They, right? It's not synonymous because we intuit it. They say that. Like he went, yeah, he went crazy, then transitioned into a woman by killing right. a hiker of the same name and, and taking everyone her like vomits and stuff and you well, like it's very gross. not cool. They're all grossed out by the uh, man dresses a woman like that. You know, it's it's uh, exactly right. very classic nineties eighties. Yeah, you know, it's phobias. It's dumb. Uh, it's not really funny. It feels really bad when you watch it now. But I think like the reason that that beat exists at all in the story is because again, it's trying to be a noir story. Mm-hmm. And the the secret juice of a noir film always has to be something that's very lurid for us to be interested in the conspiracy. And I'm not saying that this is that this is good, but I'm saying that was the calculus they did, right? Is like the idea mm-hmm. of, of uh, a trans person is like in the '90s so absurd that they put it as the main conspiracy. Fine, right? Uh, right. Not good, awful, uh, but that's the character. The thing that's fascinating about it is Sean Young's performance. Uh, because on the one hand, 
she definitely plays vixen right she plays like very stupid cartoon vixen at one specific scene yeah she a few she times it up. yeah yeah a few times but mostly in the I one i kind of love her portrayal though to be honest like when they're fighting and stuff she's like going for it well like she's, she's really going she for it is she's so over the top like she's the match of ace ventura in terms of emotional energy like she's the only she person should be. Yeah, yeah she should be correct and like a lot of her lines are really dumb uh like not just mm-hmm. the writing but her performance of it is dumb so much so that i was like oh is she just bad and then i went back and watched blade runner so I had to watch Blade Runner for this deep yeah, director's piece. Yeah, as her piece. portrayal of Rachel. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, no, this woman's incredible. Like, she can do incredible things. Uh, and certainly she's been sort of stereotyped by some of her off offstage antics. But, like, she's a good actor. Like, don't let anybody tell you she's not. Mm-hmm. She's a good actor. So these are choices to be unbelievable on purpose. Uh and I think that's interesting. So she kind of fits in a few categories here because she's doing a huge version she's of a big character. performance, yeah. Right. And she's also... She's an authority figure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she Right. She's a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, she was also cast probably specifically for the let's strip the detective scene at the end. You know what I mean? I'm sure that's yeah. a big part of it. And because she's a name. Like, she, she was a name at the time. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons. But I think looking back at the performance... The choices are interesting. You kind of wonder if she's trying to actually play a person with that kind of fractured mental, uh, like just sort of mental health, like that fractured idea. And she's like overdoing mm-hmm. it. Like you wonder if there's actual truth behind the performance in some weird ways. And I don't mean truth like out in the world. truth. I mean, she's internalized all these facts from the script and is trying to do a good job with it. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's interesting to me. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to watch it really carefully, and I, I'm not going to. But interesting character, <laughs> and uh, you also need to believe enough that she's not that she's ridiculous that you accept the end, where she gets very easily defeated by Ace Ventura, right? Uh, so that's, yeah. So her manic thing is in part to support that as well. Hopefully I've covered this with right. enough kindness that we don't have to... Uh, no, yeah, yeah I okay. see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, okay, last group. You, you can't talk about this movie without these two. Uh, these are the straight, the straight men, right? The the people who are not doing wacky characters. And there's basically yeah, the two, right? Identi- I guess, yeah, identity right. characters. Yeah. Ex- yes, except for normally an identity character is also a protagonist, and they're protagonist, not. Protagonist. Yeah. yeah. That's that's. So a good they're playing scene. the straight yeah. man, right? They're not in on the gag. And those two characters are Tony right. Locke, who plays Emilio, the detective who. Ace Ventura interrogates with his ass. You mean Tone Loke? Oh, what did I say? Tony? No, Tone. Tone Locke? <laughs> Tone Loke. How do, is that how it's pronounced? What is? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. It's, and he also has a track at the end. I, I knew he had a track at the end. Right. So he was a he was a stand-up comedian and also a musician, right? Like, that's who he was before this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's an interesting cast member because his job, I think, is to be sort of you know, the one guy who gets Ace Ventura, right? Like, that's part of it. But also to kind of distance the cop's behavior from a reasonable person. Like, he's sort of there as a critique on the cops in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, because Lois Einhorn's so unreasonable to him, and yet he's, like, he can very easily circumvent the cop's, like, infrastructure. Like, it's so easy for him to do anything he needs to do. 
that I feel like he's kind of being used. Well, first of all, he's being used tokenistically, right? Like, I think that's fair to say. Don't you? Yeah. yeah. So he's being used tokenistically. And I think they're kind of leaning into that to sort of make a character who will also sort of not be part of the police station, like sort of be a critique of the police station, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's he's an ally. Yes. He's the only ally in the authority figure, which is the cops, you know, because he's, you know, as a pet detective, he runs, has a lot of run-ins with cops. Right. And, every, and so he's and the every, only yeah. guy who's got his back. And every PI needs a guy on the force who can give him the scoop. Like that's just right. sort of a PI thing. And so Tone Loke, are you sure it's Tone Loke? Is that really true? Tone Luke? One hundred percent. Okay. Unless wow, I should have looked that I up. I have been completely saying it wrong my entire life. Tone Luke. Which would be, I, I'll accept yeah. it. Uh, should have looked that up before we started recording. <laughs> Tone Luke. Uh, so his his job is to be that character. It's not my favorite. I feel bad for him because I don't think it's the best outing for him. I think he isn't allowed to be as funny as he is. You know, like he 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 kind of just has to let Ace like yeah. Ace Ventura be the funny one. Um, yeah, they just so many times it's just they Ace says something and then he'll roll his eyes and then go, "All right, Ace, let's get back yeah, on task here." Right. So there's that. Okay. So now the the very last character I want to talk about is Melissa Robinson played by Courtney Cox. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Courtney Cox has an incredibly challenging role here because. She yes. has to be so many things. She has to be number one, attractive, right? And like mm-hmm. in this movie, that's actually important uh, because Ace—it's just like a thing that we need in movies. Ace has to also be sexy, and so we need a, a sexy woman for to like him, right? Like that's just sort of the weird movie math that we need. Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's the truth. And Courtney Cox, especially in the early '90s, complete knockout. Right, complete knockout. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about Courtney Cox is she is she often fights against being typecast as the the hot girl. She doesn't want to be cast that way. The most famous example mm-hmm. of that is the part that was offered to her in Friends was Rachel. She was offered mm-hmm. she was offered Jennifer Aniston's part, and she turned it down because she wanted to play the neurotic character of Monica instead Mm -hmm. and that i think is fascinating right because it tells you people thought of her thought of her as the sort of like you know the object right and the beautiful comedian and and she doesn't agree with that she's like no no no, i want to be the funny one that's what i want to do and so here she is in this movie you know and she really has to kind of she has to create a reality but also is the only straight man who kind of acknowledges that ace is is like out of control she has to like mm-hmm. really weave this interesting uh, tapestry of a real human being who can also be attracted to him, who also makes him funnier, which she does. And oh yeah, absolutely. And adds, she's yeah, she adds a lot of levity to this movie. It's a really good performance by her in a lot of ways. It's one of the better. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that in the Ace Ventura vehicle that launched his career, uh, she. It, he owes so much to her ability to basically, like you said, uh, adjust, adjust, switch gears to like play against whatever type he's playing. If it's a serious beat, which you really never know, it's gonna like if it's gonna be justifiable or not. She is that justification. Correct. She's always there to like 
either lay it lay it up like she does entirely like the whole sequence at shady acres mm-hmm. the mental institution oh my God, that where sequence. he's doing improv and she's just filling in the details for the doctor or they're cut to she's like well we just like solve the case all i have to do is wait well what do you suggest what do we do and then they're boning right you know it's just like there it's kind of amazing how she's able to take Absolutely no justification because the scene is not justifying why anything is going to happen next. And Ace Ventura is basically just a wild card maniac child who's just picking up objects in front of him and playing with them. She is the one who's actually propelling the movie. She, <laughs> strangely right. enough. She, I mean, she, she definitely is mostly reactionary. But th- there's a fascinating scene between them that is before... Uh, they have sex, and that is like the moment when he's upset about his theory not working out, and he's being just mm-hmm. terrible to her, right? Like where he's talking, mm-hmm. like I feel sorry for your dog. Like are you gonna beat him? Like that whole scene, you know? It's so, he called he calls one her of fatty, my, even, unbelievable. Well, no, that way better. Saddlebags. Yeah, saddlebags. <laughs> saddlebags is one wow. of the funniest things. Yeah. I'm like, why didn't that? Because that's just funny for everyone. I know it's like a joke about her breasts, but I just want to call everyone saddlebags from now on. That scene is, (laughs) in hindsight, very funny. Like now that now that I'm older, saddlebags, yeah, much funnier than I thought it was at the time. Totally forgot about that. She she tells us a lot about her character in that scene because she definitely acts like a human being, but also you can see about her character. That her character's a little bit long suffering and also kind of lets him be who he is. Like she kind of mm-hmm. she she understands how he is and kind of can accept it and then he crosses the line with her and he's like she's like, Okay, that's it. You need to leave. Right? But like she does a very believable sort of patient friend figure mm-hmm. thing with him, and it's not just dumb writing, it's actually acting. And uh She's very talented. I, like, she's one of the most underrated comedy actors we've ever had, because oh, one yeah, yeah. She, she's she, definitely underrated in Friends. That's right. Absolutely. She's so good in that show, and like because she's uh, understated. Yes, she's yes, kind of Elaine. She kind of picks up, you know, well, in that same yeah era. You know, she, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Well, that's the thing that made her so good in Friends. The thing that made her great in Friends is also the thing that made her great in this movie, which is she can believably. Like she can make a a fool, somebody doing a completely stupid thing, seem believable, and we accept mm-hmm. it. She she's incredible at that. And then later, as she developed as an actor, she also was able to more effectively play the fool. Like she got better mm-hmm. at that as time went on. But at this point in mm-hmm. her career, she's she's just a very funny foil, and really good at lifting up her scene partner. And without her, this movie doesn't work. Um, and like the other thing to say about it is, and like, I know this is a lot of praise, but like, I, I mean this cause I've, I just, I was very impressed with her when I watched it this time. She, uh, is not doing a half-assed job in this film. A lot of movies where you get like the, the attractive woman with the stupid comedian, like comedian as the, the love interest, the women sort of turn into like these, these like Stepford wives where like they're just sort of not invested in it. You know, they're like, yep. sure. I'm looking at you like Billy Madison. Right, right. Yes, you know? Billy Madison, great example. Or like a lot of movies Heather Graham has been in, or just, you know, movies where it's like they, the, the women characters are just sort of thoughtless and therefore they just go with what the script says and they love you because now's mm-hmm. the time that, that happens and you don't mm-hmm. feel the human being behind it. 
Courtney Cox, you feel the human being in this part, right? You do. You absolutely and, do. Like she finds Ace funny. That's important. She thinks he's funny, you know, and he is funny. Like not only is he funny for us as an audience, but within the world of the movie, he's still a funny guy. And she gets that. And about she kind of takes him serious from the beginning, yes. you know, Correct. Like, whereas everyone else, I know all, there's a lot of work that you put in, like, and you're absolutely right. How everyone kind of acknowledges or ignores him, but no one really comments on him. Yes. She acknowledges comments upon and also like she never ignores, but she always like, oh, I see what you're saying, or that's actually brilliant, or something like that, or like, nah, Ace, that's bullshit, you know? Like, she's able to navigate between all those, you know, you know, yes. gear shifts. It's, it's a really challenging part uh, for tone. It's not an easy part mm-hmm. to direct. I guarantee you the director had his hands off with this uh, in a lot of ways. Like, I, this is, you know who she reminds me of in some ways, and I know this is like a really high compliment, but I mean this. She, uh, I mean this for both people. She reminds me a little bit of Caitlin mm-hmm. Large. Like who we cast in Rom.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. She does yeah, in yeah, a lot yeah. of ways. Like, because Kate. I think she would be a very. Uh, I think she would be very charmed to hear that, you know? I, I mean, I have a high opinion of Caitlin because I worked with her. Mm-hmm. But the thing that made Caitlin so great, and I've, we had a lot of great actors at Cracked, but Caitlin really has such a great natural feel about how to be fun in a scene. Like what a scene's mm-hmm. about and how to be fun in it and to occupy it. And she's still flexible. That, that's not a lot. That's hard to get all that. And like Courtney Cox is that, you know, to the utmost. And I think uh, so I, I often didn't have to say much to Caitlin as the director mm-hmm. because she sort of understood what she was supposed to do. I didn't have to build that character much. She came with most of it. And I guarantee you that's what happened here with Courtney Cox. It just feels like that to me. You know, like Courtney came mm-hmm. with a lot of good decisions and the director's like, great, you have this under control and it just takes a load off, you know, like great feeling. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've covered that. Uh, oh, just one sort of meta point about these two characters. You said it. They're the only ones who take Ace Ventura seriously. They also don't take the piss out of them. Most straight men in a comedy with a wacky character, they are critics, Right, they're there to like undermine or like be like, "What are you doing, man? You maniac!" Like that's their job to be the to show like, "Is it, you're crazy? What you're doing is crazy, man." In Ace Ventura, they don't really do that. What they are is a sort of the only people who are kind to him, and that's fascinating, right? Like that's a directing and writing decision that helps make Ace Ventura palatable. Is like the normal people think he's fun, so you should too. And it's not often done in movies. Right. And don't you think that's interesting? I was surprised by that when I watched it this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh it's a great way of putting it. Yeah. So, in conclusion, when I the first time I watched Ace Ventura when I was 13, I thought of it as the the slapdick silliest who gives a shit movie in the world, and I think that was my impression mm-hmm. all the way until I watched it again this time. But the mm-hmm. truth is this director, if nothing else, has a lot of skill with casting. They know how to make they they know how to make good decisions. They know how to build a universe. Yeah, and and it's not a it's not a really uh, robust uh, you know creative universe, but it's a universe that's a soft enough bed that we can accept Ace Ventura in it. You know, like we otherwise mm-hmm. we could not, and that is not an easy thing when you've given the entire comedy control of the movie over to Jim Carrey at his prime. Like mm-hmm. I don't even know what it would mean to direct Jim Carrey. 
especially if he's like just like okay i'm just gonna make up some bits sometimes it'll be star trek sometimes it'll be weird face sometimes it'll be a poop joke and you just deal with it you know like that's not easy uh to to create a cast that can support that um and the director did that i think that's really interesting uh not every cast here did the comedy job some of them are of course very functional like uh, like the doctor you mentioned at the at the mental institution is a very functional actor, right. good actor, functional actor, uh, and you can tell when the choices were made that were just functional because they're not in a lot of scenes where they are. You can tell also. There's a shot of when his after he drinks yes, from the water yes, fountain, yes, yes, and he slams. Yes. You can tell he laughs, and that means yes. that it was an improv. That's exactly what I was going to point out. You, you, like the way in which he did that. Yeah, right. You can you can if you watch the it's doctor so in that scene, it's clear that they did not know what Ace what what Jim Carrey was going to do, and the doctor right. dies laughing. And and uh, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't deal with several shots. The most notable one is right when his head hits the bench because, oh my like, god slams really hard yeah and uh i can't believe yeah, that he, he did lo- that he loses it I, like when i watched this this the, that movie this this movie that time i i forgot about that football bit altogether and mm-hmm. the 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 violence that he hits his face into that couch is incredible like you it's a well-placed sound oh effect my man. god yeah but it also looks great like he it really went for yeah. it, and it looks fucking awesome. It's very funny. Fucking yeah, hell, man. <laughs> it's it's really good. Jim Carrey's incredible. I don't want to take anything away from him, but like every like every really incredible actor, his strengths are also a weakness, and you have to sh- find a way to shore that weakness up. And that's what this director did. Um, he did a really mm-hmm. nice job, and uh, there is some high art here to Ace Ventura. I'm glad to say. Hope you guys enjoy it. <clears throat> There's some craftsmanship, very much. Very so. much so. Well, that's my theory. That's all I had to say. Uh, uh yeah. Well, well, inspected, <laughs> detective. Uh, uh, now that now that you're done, can we get to the real episode? I'm excited. Yeah, please. Uh, so Gene Hackman <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones. Can you imagine? Right? Can we just can we just look? <laughs> I just want, like... <laughs> the funny thing is, Tommy Lee Jones was me. in a couple wacky movies. He was, he was. But he always plays... I mean, okay, so Men in Black is the only counterpoint. I was like, mm, maybe he could work in Ace Ventura. Because in Men in Black, that's another very silly universe. And no fucking he plays a guy who sort of reinforces it by being nonchalant about it. I just don't mm-hmm. know how Tommy Lee Jones could have an interaction with Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura. I don't see how that could happen. No, you can't sanction this buffoonery. Yeah, right. And then this, but imagine him. Excuse me. Yeah, I like to ask you a few questions. <laughs> 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 Poor Tommy Lee Jones has to speak with his ass. Oh my there god! Is this with his fucking ass, Tommy Lee Jones is horrible asshole <laughs> speaking to you. <laughs> it's been eighty for like twenty five years. That asshole's been eighty his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Do not go in there. <laughs> I don't even know what a Tommy Lee Jones do impression is. I'm so bad at impression. Yeah, 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 you'd have to do yeah. something like U.S. Marshals. It's the fugitive. Out, house, dog, out. The fugitive yeah. is the fugitive is the ultimate Tommy Lee Jones impression, right? Just like, all right, do not, everybody, go in there. Do not go in there. 
Oh, fuck me. Uh, fuck me. Yeah, I, Gene Hackman was the one that I was like really trying to figure out. And I thought about him in Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, but Gene Hackman's such an like is the ultimate everyman to me. Like mm-hmm. uh, it, that's what he's made his bread and butter on, right? As being sort of the everyman of cinema. And I, yeah. mean, I know that Harrison Ford I mean, is quote unquote an everyman, yeah. but he's not really. Like like Gene Hackman's a pretty regular guy. He's an everyman hero. Yeah. Uh, Hackman's like, well, I mean, he was Lex Luthor. You know, like he's he's got range. Uh, but he's usually later in his career, he became like hard, more hard nosed. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like him early days. Yeah. Like, like pop as like Popeye he was just, and, uh, in, uh, no, no, no <laughs> I, I meant this like as Popeye in the, that seventies movie, everybody loves some French connection, French connection. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think that Gene Hackman is a sort of interesting actor to map for like, what do we think masculinity means? Like there mm-hmm. are definitely, I mean, there, there's a lot of them, but like he he fits somewhere on that on that graph as like this guy defines masculinity in movies to some in some ways. Uh, that that's an, that would be a really interesting director piece project to like talk about masculinity as defined by le- leading men. Uh, but I, I'm not mm. going to do that right now because that's going to take a very long time. But uh, I like it though. <laughs> yeah, but someone should do that. Some some guest should pick up that line and run with it. Uh, for mm-hmm. sure. So, uh, anything else about Ace Ventura? Later episode. No. No. Alrighty Not then. enough. Do you, did you, uh, did you find him funny this time? Like, were you over the, were the, were you over being over it? I'll be, I'll be honest. I go over it pretty quickly. Uh, cause yeah, I got over it pretty quickly, but the first, there were several bits that got me yeah. and I don't know if I can't decipher if it was because I like inhaled this movie as a kid uh, and it was just nostalgia or it was legitimately shit that I had forgotten. I just thought was hilarious. Like him, like screaming to the heavens surrounded by animals. Yeah, that was really it's good. Just, it with like the swirling orchestra behind him. It's just like, what the fuck is this movie? That's hilarious. You know it really got me this time when I was watching it. He goes, who the hell is that? And then she goes, who? And then he walks all the way across the room <laughs> and points at a single tiny little thi- like picture at the mm-hmm. at the end of the wall that no human right. being could ever see. And he he did yeah, it it's... in such a good way. It just made <laughs> it's me a laugh. Cartoon. That? No, it's, who the uh... hell is that? <laughs> who the hell is that? Yeah. 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 Le who right, that stuff I still don't Tommy Lee Jones. like. Like I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones as saying loser. Oh god. Le like who his Zuhur. weird catchphrases, like the nineties just ruined those forever. Uh I maybe some future generation that didn't get all those quotes thrown at them will <sighs> think it's funny again. I don't know. Uh we'll have to do a companion piece on uh Austin Powers. Uh, Austin yeah. Powers. Yeah. Austin Powers is a gift to Ace Ventura because it replaced it. So like so at least there was a reprieve from people saying alrighty then because that was like a thing for like 10 oh, years geez. it went on forever oh gosh yeah yeah <laughs> it went on forever and like i still don't think that stuff's funny but i do think other things are funny uh like there's a scene where he's popping all that gum because he realized that he kissed a man right that's dumb but and the best follow-up though is the gum. dan yeah. marino following up and asking yeah. him hey where'd you get that gum that's some of your business and i'll take you to stay out of my personal things i just like that dan marino's like hey this is good gum. Also, i didn't talk about the sports uh, the act the sports actors in this much because to me right. you just sort of get what you get when you cast sports actors 
Uh, Dan Marino's not that bad in this. He's like acceptable. And no, he's he totally knows where he's yeah, at. He's he's like, fine. He's just supposed to be like, oh, what's happening? Oh, crazy. Right. He's like a dummy. He's a dumb, fun yeah, guy. And he is fun. I will say the one thing that is incredible that he does is like there's a there's a shot where we're watching him prep for the Super Bowl and he throws a spiral right under camera. And it's like, oh my, like that's, it was like an NFL quarterback moment where you're like, oh my God, these guys are so good. I forgot that these guys are yeah, good. These yeah, these guys are like incredible. For sure. Uh, also, the other thing that kind of got me is the way that he fights the eagle at the end. <laughs> the way Ace Ventura fights the eagle. Because he hits oh, him he fucking real goes hard. Down on it. <laughs> yeah, he's just, it's great. It's a good bit. Just beat the shit out of a mascot. Because they're so protected. Yeah, yeah. And you can just wail on them. And then, the, once again, a well-placed sound yep. effect. Yeah. That just, also just the, <laughs> the way he punches in the second time is very funny. Um, he decks yeah, him. Yeah, very hard. decks him into the like, next it's world. It's hard to yeah. fake that. Very hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, well, we've covered it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, maybe it got you to go back and watch it. Can't speak for the sequel, but, uh, you know, there's uh, good directing, even in movies like Ace Ventura, I'm pleased to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alrighty, then. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Uh, I love your lazy punchlines. It's my favorite shit. this has been a small beans endeavor we're a bunch of pals who make podcasts sketches music web series and movies the beans always have new ideas percolating so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monsters beans if you enjoyed this content module please like rate subscribe or tell a friend about us we love you